You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of a series called Rooted in Christ by Pastor Daniel White. Now let's prepare our hearts as Pastor White brings forth God's truth from His Word today. All right, let's take our Bible, turn to Psalm 139. This is where we were last week, Sunday morning, and also Sunday night. Last week we began our message by asking you if you could answer the three following questions. Who are you? Why are you here? And where are you going? Today we're going to consider that third most important question in life. Where are you going? Do you know? For a hundred percent assurity that you're going to heaven when you die. I'll guarantee you one thing, you are going to die. It is appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. Psalm 139, verse 1. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsittings and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassed my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. We broke this psalm down Sunday night, verse by verse, if you remember. Verse 4, For there is not a word in my tongue, but thou, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Obviously, he knows everything about us. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thy hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. Heavenly Father, I pray you would bless the preaching of your word today as we seriously consider where we will spend eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Remember last week I shared with you, I believe the most important question that was ever asked was asked by the Philippian jailer to the Apostle Paul that night when Paul was in prison there in Philippi. And he asked Paul, what must I do? Fill it in. To be saved. What must I do to be saved? There is no more important question for you to answer in life than what must I do to be saved. And then we begin to consider these other important questions of life like who am I and why am I here? What is my purpose in life? Why do I even exist? And then where am I going to go when this life is over? I'm going to tell you one thing. We don't need to look to the world for the answers. They don't have it. But we have God's revelation. We have his truth. And we can look into this book for the answers of life. And then also consider this. I think all of us want to be successful. If you don't want to be successful in life, there's something really wrong with you. Okay? So I think all of us here would say, yes, I want to be a success in life. But you will only be a success in life if you do that for which God has created you to do. That is the only time that you will be successful. If you know your purpose in life, then you can move forward in confidence to fulfill the very purpose for which God has created you. If you don't accomplish what God has designed for you to accomplish, then guess what? You're a failure. I like what one man said. He said, to succeed at the wrong thing is still failing. So a lot of people may be succeeding in what they think is the right thing, but it's not the thing that God has created them for. You know, there's two sources of wisdom. James chapter 3 said, There is the wisdom which is from above. We have it right here now. 
There's the wisdom which is from above, and then there's the wisdom of this world, which is earthly, sensual, and devilish. And I want to go back to where I was uh, last week for the sake just of remembrance and for the fact that several of you weren't even here last week. And I want to talk a little bit about the wisdom of this world, Darwinism, and the wisdom which is from above, which is creationism. Darwinism has absolutely affected our entire culture. I dare say it has affected and perverted the whole world and their idea of who we are, why we're here, and where we are going. Darwinism has indoctrinated us. And probably to some extent, every single one of us here have been affected by this false theory. One man actually came to me last week. He said, you know what? He said, I can't remember the last time that Darwinism was ever called a theory because it's put forth as a fact now in our culture. In 1963, the U.S. Supreme Court removed prayer and Bible reading from our public institutions. From 1620 till 1963, that is a span of 343 years. For 343 years in the existence of this nation, prayer and Bible reading were an everyday part of the American experience in our public schools. But in 1963, the Supreme Court decided that they know better than God. And they removed him from our public institutions. No longer was prayer and Bible reading allowed. Suddenly, it was removed. And there has been devastating consequences because of this. Now... We have to have armed guards in our schools. Hearing of school shootings has now become what? We're not even shocked by it anymore. All we have to do is stop and look at our culture and look at our society and see where we are spiritually and morally to say that was the worst decision that has ever been made by our Supreme Court. So as you remove God and you remove prayer and you remove the scriptures from public life, what has then come in to replace it? Darwinism. I was taught Darwinism as I came through the public school system. And most of you here today, unless you're a little bit older than I am, you were taught Darwinism as well. Darwinism teaches that we are simply a product of evolution. That we are an accident. We are simply a random series of chemical and biological events. We came from some slimy pond and a one-cell organism, and over millions or maybe billions of years, this simple life form that crawled out of this slimy pond became more complex and eventually turned into some sub-ape creature, and now you have us. Isn't that exciting to know your origin? Timothy was instructed by Paul to keep the things which were committed to his trust and not to listen to profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called. Darwinism is a false philosophy of life. This verse was quoted in our Sunday school this morning by Ben. Beware lest any man spoil you. The connotations of that word spoil. Rob, steal, plunder. Take everything of value from you. 
Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy, vain deceit. Darwinism is a philosophy. It's, it's a vain deception. After the traditions of men, yes, it's become a tradition. After the rudiments of this world, yes, it is the elementary teachings of this world. But it's not after Christ. Don't be ruined. Why do so many believe and embrace this false theory of man's origin? I hit on this last week. I got to hit on it again. The Bible said the fool has said in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt. This is why they embrace Darwinism. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were what? Evil. Abominable. Corrupt. Evil. For everyone that doth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. So why do people embrace Darwinism and that whole philosophy of Darwinism? Because of the sinfulness of man's heart. The depravity of man. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. It's an imagination. Their foolish heart was what? Darkened. Professing themselves to be wise. They have the Ph degrees. But professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man and birds and four-fettered beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up unto uncleanliness through their lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. And then the rest of the chapter deals with the sin of homosexuality. That's where we are today. But it has its roots all the way back to 1963 where God was removed and Darwinism replaced it. What does creation teach us? It teaches us that we were made in the image of God by the hand of a loving God. We were made in the likeness of God. And God created man in his image. In the image of God created he him male and what? female no transgenders can you not see where we are today because of the embracing of darwinism going all the way back to the decision of the supreme court infiltrating our public institutions last week we talked about what it meant to be created in the image of God. We saw that God is creative and he's given us the ability to create things to bring him glory. God is a spiritual being and he's made us spiritual beings so that we would seek him with our whole heart. God has communicated and has given us the ability being made in his image to communicate Oh, that we would communicate his truth to a lost and dying world. God is intelligent and most of us are too. Most of us are too. And we're to use our mind and the intelligence that God has given us to serve him. God has relationships. He has a relationship with us. I have a relationship with him. And God has made us in his image, to have relationships that would honor and glorify him. God is moral. God is holy. He is righteous. He is just. He is sinless. And he has made us moral beings so that we would pursue holiness in our lives. God is eternal. And so are we. Stop and think about it, and think about it seriously. David said, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I, I can't. It's so high. I can't attain unto it. We would say, we can't even wrap our mind around it. 
I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We are a creation of an almighty, loving God that created us for a purpose. Who am I? Why am I here? Why am I here? What is my purpose in life? Why do I exist? You know what Darwinism tells us? You exist only to fulfill the desires of the flesh. There's no, there's no, (laughs) hey, there's no other reason for your existence in the philosophy of Darwinism. That's why the Bible says we had, before we were saved, we had our conversation, our lifestyle in times past, fulfilling the lust of the flesh and fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. So Darwinism says the only reason you exist is to fulfill your own desires. Creation says the only reason why you exist is to bring him pleasure. Not to bring yourself pleasure. If that's your pursuit in life, if that's what you're going for, then you've embraced Darwinism. But if you want to embrace the wisdom which is from above, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things. That means you and me. For God has created creationism. God has created all things, and he's created them for his pleasure. For his pleasure they are, and they were created, Revelation 4 and verse 11. The Westminster Confession and Catechism says, What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Forever. Why do you exist? What is your purpose in life? Why are you here? Paul said that we would please God and abound in it more and more. That's why we're here. So who am I? I'm created in the image of God. Why am I here? I'm here to fulfill his purpose for my life, which is to please him. Where am I going? Well, again, we have to turn to the sacred pages to find out the answer to that question. By an unknown author. The Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, Its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, practice it to be holy. It contains life to direct you, food to support you, comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's character. Here paradise is restored, heaven is opened, hell is disclosed. The Lord Jesus Christ is the grand object Our good is designed, and the glory of God is its end. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. Let it fill the memory, rule the heart, guide the feet. It is a mind of wealth, a paradise of glory, a river of pleasure. It is given you in life. It will be opened in judgment and remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility will reward the highest labor and will condemn all who trifle with its sacred contents. To that I say amen. God is eternal. We are eternal. We are not animals. Because we have 
embrace Darwinism because God and the Bible and prayer were removed in 1963. What happened in 1973? Roe versus Wade. And because Darwinism and the philosophy of Darwinism took hold and we're only here, our purpose in life is only to please ourselves, then we can kill our own offspring. Are you following this? Bringing us up to this present day of the acceptance of homosexuality and now transgenderism and the mass confusion we now have as a nation. You know, I say to that, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. We are a mess. And you know what messed us up? When we got rid of this book. And we got rid of the God behind this book. And we got rid of our praying to that God. Darwinism says, where am I going? Nowhere. You're going nowhere. The only place you're going is to the grave. Well, if that's the only place that I'm going, then I might as well fulfill the desires of my flesh. Well, I'm here, right? Right? Yes or no, church, right? Yeah, why not? If this is all there is, and yet creationism says, no, you were created in the image of God. And God is eternal, and you are eternal. Listen to the words of Jesus. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Everlasting punishment, or the righteous into life eternal. The Bible could not make it any clearer. If I ascend into heaven, thou art what? There. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If you are going somewhere after you die, you better figure out where you're going. This life is so temporary compared to eternity. If death ushers us into eternity, then I think it would be a very, very wise thing that you be able to answer the question, where am I going when I die? And answer it with confidence. Solomon, if you remember, said these words, that God has put eternity in our hearts. God has put eternity in the hearts of men. They may reject that. They may deny that. They may sear their conscience to it. But God has put eternity in man's heart. You know, you know that's why my favorite service to preach is a funeral service. Because everyone is forced, forced to look at that person. And realize that death is real. And eternity is right around the corner. I also believe this. To understand eternity and where we will spend eternity, we have to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and the fall of man. So many, even within the church, don't understand the fall and the effects that the fall of man has had upon every one of us. So go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 with me. We'll make our way through this chapter. It is seriously 5 to 12? Are you guys moving that clock ahead up there? What's going on here? They gave me a thumbs up. Now the serpent was more subtle, deceitful, than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, the creator God. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. So here the serpent approaches Eve, 
And if you'll notice the text, he casts doubt upon the word of God. Yea, hath God said. Can I tell you something? You better be careful about the blogs that you're reading and the YouTubes that you're watching. Because this world is doing everything it can do to get you to doubt the word of God. That's why we at Fellowship Baptist Church, we believe that this good old King James Bible is the inerrant, authoritative, preserved word of a holy God for us today. You say, preacher, don't, don't you believe there's a few mistakes? There's not a mistake in the word of God. And yet so many, even within the church, would try to convince you that we do not have the preserved word, the infallible word, the inspired word, the inerrant word of God. I'm here to tell you today, we do. Don't ever let Satan cast a doubt in your mind concerning the word of God. Because once he casts a doubt in your mind, then he can brazenly deny the word of God. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. I know that's what God told you, but he lied to you. And this is exactly what's happening. I've seen it happen in our church. I particularly have seen it happen with our young people where they have listened to the philosophies of this world and they have been drawn away from the truth of God's word. Earthly, sensual, devilish wisdom. Because he has come to steal, kill, and to destroy. Doubt leads to denial, and denial leads to rejection. Rejection leads to disobedience, and disobedience leads to consequence. If you cannot see the consequences of embracing the world's wisdom, particularly Darwinism, if you cannot see the consequences to that, you are blind and cannot see afar off. Satan's temptation came through the lust of the flesh. She saw the tree that was good for food, the lust of the eyes. It was pleasant to the eyes, the pride of life, desirous to make one wise. And she took and she ate and she gave it to her husband and he did eat. And man fell. And the tragic consequences of that fall have affected us all. Disobedience always Listen to me. Disobedience. Listen, please. Disobedience will always bring judgment. The consequences of the fall, the righteous judge of heaven and earth sets up his court. In the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve are summoned to court. They're found guilty. Verse 8 of chapter 3. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? never been afraid of me before hast thou eaten of the tree whereof i commanded thee that thou shouldst not eat and the man said the woman whom thou gavest to me she gave me of the tree and i did eat and the lord god said unto the woman what is this that thou hast done and the woman said the serpent beguiled me and i did eat the blame game begins As I look at this passage of scripture, I I see three judgments or three sentences of judgments that were passed from God's throne there in Eden. First of all was the judgment upon the serpent. He said, because of what you you have done, you shall crawl upon your belly. 
all the days of your life. You know why snakes slither on their belly? Because God judged them in the Garden of Eden. Then there was the judgment upon Satan. Verse 15. The judgment upon the serpent. Verse 14. The judgment upon Satan. Verse 15. He said, and I will put enmity. That word is a word we don't use. It means hatred or hostility or a feud or a war. I will put hostility. I will put hatred. There will be a war between thee and the woman. Boy, is there ever spiritual war taking place all around us today. And between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now when we first read this verse. Many see it as just a natural hatred that man has for snakes. I don't like snakes. There's just something about it. But this is not what God is referring to here, the natural hatred that we have for snakes. There's a profound truth underlying this verse. This is a prophecy. This is a prediction. Are you all with me? Concerning the cross of the Lord Jesus and his resurrection from the dead when he crushed Satan's head on the cross and through the resurrection and Satan was only able to bruise his heel. I've had a bruised heel. How many here have ever had a bruised heel? Well, you limp for a little while, but then it gets better. All Satan could inflict upon our Savior was a bruise on his heel. But praise God, through the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior, Satan's head was crushed. And you, being dead in your sin, which we all were before we got saved, hath he quickened, made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. I love this verse. Blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us, referring to the law of God. God's law brought condemnation and guilt. But blotting out the handwriting of the ordinance that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he took it out of the way, and he nailed it to the cross. And he made a show of Satan openly, triumphing over him in it. So Satan had that document, the law of God, that he held against us in condemnation. And the Lord Jesus Christ grabbed that condemnation, nailed it to the cross, and, and bled all over it. And for those who will trust his shed blood for their forgiveness, he will crush Satan's power in your life. Hallelujah. So there was a judgment upon the serpent. There was the judgment upon Satan. Hallelujah. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. And the word of their testimony. Have you overcome through your faith in the blood of the Lamb? A judgment upon the serpent, a judgment upon Satan, and then a judgment upon Adam and Eve. There's a sevenfold judgment as I begin to work my way through this passage. Seven results of their fall. First of all, in verse 7, sin caused guilt and shame to enter into their lives. They never had experienced guilt and shame prior to their fall. So the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Why? Because they felt guilty and they felt ashamed. You know what the difference between guilt and shame is? Guilt is when you know in your conscience you've done wrong. Shame is when others know you've done wrong and they think poorly of you because of it. 
They experience guilt and they experience shame. Same thing we experience when we sin. Or should I say we should experience it? Number two, sin caused fear. They had never feared God before this time. They walked with him in the cool of the garden. They fellowshiped with him. They enjoyed their time with God. Verse 8 and 10. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife, what did they do, church? What? They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Good luck there. Amongst the trees, hiding out in the trees. Remember, they had made themselves aprons of fig leaves. Someone said that was the first camel outfit fit was ever made. That's exactly what they did. They made themselves camel, right? And they hid out in the trees like God cannot see. And Adam said, I heard thy voice in the garden. He had heard his voice in the garden prior to this, but now he's afraid. I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Oh, my dear church people, what are you hiding behind? Many of us will minimize our sin. It's not that big a deal. Everybody's doing it. There'll be no judgment because of it. No consequence. No, I'm hiding myself. No one knows. Many of us will deny our sin. When faced, we'll just deny Boy, we're good at lying, aren't we? How many of you ever had a kid, you know he's lying, but he keeps lying to you anyway, and you go, I know you're lying, you just keep lying. Well, we minimize, we deny, we blame others. God, it was her. She said, God, it was him. We're really good at justifying ourselves, aren't we? Come on now. We minimize, we deny, we blame, we justify, we make the fig leaves, we hide out in the trees, we hide out in the tree of religion. I'm not that bad. I'm hiding behind my religion. I'm hiding behind my good works. I'm hiding behind my position. I'm hiding behind my family reputation. I'm hiding behind my intellect. Professing themselves to be wise. They became what? The third judgment was sin caused discord in relationships. And the man said, the woman, verse 12, whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. Six things that the Lord hate, yea, the seventh is an abomination. He that sows discord among the brethren. You know why there's discord in relationships? You know why? The fall of man. We're all fallen creatures. Whenever there's discord in a church, you know what you can trace it back to? S-I-N. I don't know how to spell a lot of words, but I know how to spell that one. <laughs> I don't even have to go to the spell check for that one. The fourth thing is that sin causes suffering. Suffering. 
Liz just had her precious baby. Grandparents again. Right, Chromebox? I hear she's beautiful. Under the woman, verse 16. He said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow. You know what sin causes? A lot of sorrow in life. And thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. And then I want you to notice this. Shell and I were talking about this last night. And thy desire, women, thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee. You know what that is? That's a judgment because of the fall. I wonder what it was like before the fall. After the fall, now, the woman has to be subservient to the man. She has to be under man's authority. Why? Because of sin. You now have to have an authority structure because of sin. Prior to the fall, there was, it was perfect. And here's what, I'm, here's what I'm trying to get across to all of you today. Sin will mess everything up. We just don't get it. It's, it's going to mess you up. It's going to mess up your relationship. It's going to bring sorrow into your life and suffering. Number five. I said there was seven. We're on number five. Sin causes weariness and labor. Now the ground is cursed. See this in verse 17 through verse 19. It's going to bring forth thorns and thistles. Adam is now going to become fatigued. He's going to sweat. He's going to become tired. Listen, work was not a result of the fall because before the fall, Adam took care of the garden. The result of the fall was all this fatigue that goes along with work. How many have ever come home from work and you just hit the lazy boy just... Oh, come on. You know why that is? It's the fall. Number six. Now we're getting to real serious stuff. There was separation from God. Verse 22 through verse 24 he drove a man out of the garden. Cherubims with flaming swords turned them away lest they come back into the garden and eat of the tree of life and live forever in their sinful condition. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Listen, there's nothing more serious than to be separated from God. You know when that separation took place? When you were conceived in your mother's womb. For in sin did our mothers conceive us. We were separated from God when we came forth from that womb. Number seven. Sin causes death. In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely what? You're going to die. The wages of sin is death. Chapter 5, verse 5. And all the days of Adam lived were 930 years, and Adam died. Prior to the flood, it was unbelievable how long people lived. But even though he lived 930 years, he died. Just like God said. This is an interesting verse. Psalm 90, verse 10. The days of our years are threescore years. Sixty years and ten. Sixty and ten is what? 
And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years or eighty years, yet is their strength, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. That's where that song comes, I'll fly away. It's from that verse. So God says the average length of a person's life is going to be 60 to 70 and maybe up to 80 years. So I went on my computer. Because everything you Google is the truth. So I Googled up, what is the average lifespan of a woman in America? You know what it is? 81 years. Almost exactly what God said. Grandma's got that beat. The average lifespan of a man, 76. Falls right into where God said. I was real encouraged by that because I realized I have 16 more years to live. <laughs> you know how fast 16 years goes? How many have you how many of you women has have surpassed 81 years? Can I see your hand? Well, be encouraged, you're going to die soon. How many men here have, surp have surpassed 76? Oh, they're all dead. Okay. <laughs> but you know what's worse than physical death? Is eternal death. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. You better listen up. He that overcometh will not be hurt of the second death. Someone said, he that is born once will die twice. But he that is born twice, hallelujah, will only die once. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in that first resurrection on such the second death hath no power. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Well, this is the bad news. The fall of man has affected every one of us. Whereby, as by one man, Adam, sin entered the world, and death by sin, so death has passed upon all men, for all have sinned. How many of you here are sinners? That's the bad news. Well, how about we close with the good? For as in Adam all died, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Jesus Christ came into this world at the very sentence that he passed in the Garden of Eden. He removed from my life the minute I asked him to come into my heart and be my Savior and redeem me from the curse of the fall. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. No wonder it's called the gospel. I don't think I could preach a more serious message than I've just preached to you today. Do you know where you'll spend eternity? If not, this is what I would do if I were you. I would put away your pride. You know why I got saved at the age of five years old? I didn't have any pride. Seriously. 
man, I heard that I was a sinner, that I was condemned, I was on my way to a crisis eternity, that I was going to die and go to hell without Jesus. You know what I did? I asked him to come in my heart and be my Savior. And that death sentence was removed from my life. The older we get, the more that pride just roots itself so deep in our hearts. If you'll be humble enough to put away your pride and come to an old-fashioned altar and bow your knee. If you're here today and you're not sure you're saved, I've had several of my children wrestled with that, wrestled with that. Remember, Ben, you remember wrestling with that? Wrestling with that. Listen, remember wrestling with that? How many of you remember when Alyssa nailed that down and she gave that testimony? And there was, I think there was 16, 16 people in our church that said, I don't know for sure I'm saved. How many remember that? Remember a couple weeks later, I baptized them, I baptized them, I baptized them. Say, preacher, are you trying to scare me? Absolutely. Absolutely. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. To leave this world without the curse of the fall being removed from your life, there is no hope. Let's stand, shall we? Every head bowed, every eye closed. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.